Listening to What's Right with Sam and Ash, News Talk 840 KXNT. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend, and now we're all back in the saddle doing our thing, which, of course, if you're Elon Musk, is buying Twitter. The deal, it appears, is uh, is done. And I, I want to uh, say a couple things about this because it's really a momentous event uh, as best as I can tell from seeing the reactions out there among some of the more left-leaning folk, I, I sense that this is a uh, a repeat of 2016. It's a 2016-2.0. I mean, people are freaking out about it. And I saw a minute ago, Ashley tweeted out, and Ash cannot be here today, but she uh, she tweeted out about how, you know, if you are... If you are complaining that now you're going to leave Twitter because Elon Musk bought the thing, then you're part of the problem. And she's exactly right. This, uh, the people that do not like this deal are the same people that relished in folks getting deplatformed for saying mean things they did not like. And the problem with free speech and problem with the great American experiment is that the, the, the well, you, you have to tolerate things that you don't like. You have to, you have to even gasp, tolerate some things that are hurtful uh, and that upset you. And you do that because upset and dislike try as the left, you know, make it something a matter of consensus is actually a very subjective thing. It's a subjective standard because it's based on one's feelings. And feelings are not worth the paper they're printed on. So Musk, you know, today tweeted out this thing, this little statement. And I have it, I have it here because I, 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 it's very telling. He, he, he mentioned something that is legally relevant. And again, I like to get into these things as an attorney and talk about it as uh, talk about a lot of this new stuff from a legal perspective. And I remember telling you last week, just last week, when this was all going back and forth, I mentioned that behind the scenes, an important free speech value driver was this a case moving through federal court in San Francisco, where a gentleman, a former writer for the New York Times, had filed a lawsuit against Twitter. Uh, alleging that his free speech rights were violated. And he cited a case, a Supreme Court case from 1980, Pruneyard Shopping Center versus Robbins. And in this particular case, uh, what happened was some kids went to a shopping center. They went the, to set up a Greenpeace booth. They're you know, Greenpeace activists, a popular thing among the youths back in the 80s, late 70s actually, when this happened. And they were kicked out. The shopping center said, we don't want you Greenpeace hippies here, and they booted them. And the kids, they sued. And ultimately, as the case wove its way through the courts, it made its way to the Supreme Court of the United States, which in turn decided in 1980 that the shopping center, remember, these are the 80s, right? The shopping center is the new public square. And because the shopping center is inviting us folk to come and congregate there, 
for their own commercial purposes, becoming a public gathering spot. And there's limited free speech rights given, afforded to us, even though it's technically on private property. The analogy, of course, the legal analogy, the precedent that this case sets for Twitter, for Facebook, for Instagram, for all social media and online forums is, is tremendous. Because I think we could argue today the new public square is Twitter. It's Twitter, de facto, Twitter and Facebook and, and social media online. We don't go and yell at each other in front of the courthouse. and We leave that to the paranoid schizophrenic homeless people. Uh, but, you know, we, we exercise our schizophrenia and, and uh, uncouthness on the Internet at one another. It's the new public square. And uh, funny enough, Elon Musk in a tweet today in, in, in acknowledging his victory in this fight and acquiring Twitter and now beginning the steps of taking it fully private, he has a quote here. And he says, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matter, matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. These words, folks, I'm telling you, are not accidental. Musk is a smart guy. He's a very smart guy. And he is saying these words. He's painfully aware that the turning point is coming, and Twitter will lead the charge. If you are under the deluded assumption that things will remain as they are, that a guy like the gentleman suing Twitter currently, who was deplatformed, was booted off the platform of, off of Twitter. His account was suspended indefinitely or permanently. He was banned because he questioned the vaccine. In fact, I think what he specifically said about the vaccine is that it was more of a therapeutic, a limited, a limit, a, a therapeutic of limited effectiveness rather than a vaccine. And he had some very specific scientific data for. Uh, for writing that and backing that up. Nonetheless, that was not permitted by the Twitter gods, and they booted him off the platform, and he lost a certain amount uh, of his reach, a significant amount of his reach, and he details that in his lawsuit. So so to me, you know, this if, if that was what you want, if that's what you want, if you don't want misinformation out there, uh, then yeah, this is a very bad day for you. Because what you want is everyone saying what you think. What you want is you want no disagreement. What you think is that there's consensus on a topic and to say something different than what that consensus is, is damaging. That's the word that we've heard a lot of. It's damaging. And I would contend that what is fundamentally damaging to our democracy is to have Someone out there, some unnamed, unseen person with 10 nose rings in San Francisco deciding what is damaging and what isn't. Because the only arbiters of what is true and what isn't true and what is right and isn't right ultimately has to come by consensus from all of us. That is how democracy works. And you have to fight as a, as a civil libertarian, as a constitutionalist. You have to fight for the rights of people to say stupid things. You have to fight for people to be wrong. You even 
have to fight for the right of people to be despicable. And that to this generation of overly coddled, overly indulged, constantly placated, petted, I mean, I mean that, petted, literally coddled, just swathed in comfort generation of people. The, well, well yeah, right. I'm, I always come back to, you know, in the 1980s still, when I was going through school, what did they tell you? Oh, Mrs. Jones, Frankie over there, he hurt my feelings. <laughs> and what did your teacher tell you, if you're my age or older? Listen, tell, tell Frankie that he's a jerk and tell him that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Do you know how many teachers told me that? I was always getting made fun of. You know, I, I dressed a little different than the other kids. <laughs> Fact. And that's what they told me. Hey, just, you know, they're just words, Sam. But then came, you, you know, you had to have the whole self-esteem movement came along the self-esteem and we can tr trace some of this activism that is occurring now back to the uh, originating at the self-esteem movement where everybody was like it doesn't matter who you are who you are is fabulous you are the best johnny you are incredible sam you are amazing don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise well look if i'm a lazy good for nothing dumb a money money what I need to hear from somebody is that I need to, I, I, that I can do more, that I can be better, that I can be stronger. And it ties back into this free speech movement because all of a sudden we created a generation of kids who could not be told anything hurtful. And so they became a weakened generation of really of a very limit also limited thinkers and these are the people right now that are simply coming undone okay we come back more on this i'll get to the kind of the structure of the deal how i think it all went down what was the impetus behind it closing right now and also gosh if i really want to salt the snail here uh, folks, I got some bad news for, for you uh, for you wokesters out there. Trump is coming back. That is something you can take to the bank. What's right with Sam and Ash, News Talk 840 KXNT, back right after this. Sam and Ash Injury Law has been named the official injury attorneys of the Henderson Silver Knights. Sam and Ash Injury Law, they care, they help, you win. 702-820-1234 or salmonashlaw.com because you deserve what's right. Are we all familiar with that great English expression called hoist by their own petard? Uh, it's a good one. And it basically means when you do something that ends up screwing you, biting you in the A money money. Okay, what's right with Sam and Ash here? I'll explain what I mean by this as it relates to the Twitter deal. See, Twitter screwed the pooch. And I got to explain why, okay? And fundamentally why, because a lot of people are asking, so wait a minute, so he made this offer at, call it $52 a share, uh, and they said, no way, we're not going to do it. And I mentioned, of course, here it's a negotiation, even though Musk said it's not. It's a top offer. Why did they ultimately accept it? And it's because they stepped in it. 
the board stepped in it when they brought in the poison pill, okay? When they decided that they were going to dig in the trenches and refuse a tender offer that was extremely lucrative for its shareholders. In doing so, they violated a basic business tenant. This is not in code. I mean, it's code, codified, off, of course, in, in every state in the country, but it's also in common law. And it has to do with a duty duty that the shareholders have, that the, the business has a duty to its shareholders, right? It's a fiduciary duty to look after and protect the interests of the people that are invested in the business. And, oh, you know, one of the reasons that many of us like Trump is because he says things that nobody else says, and he says them out loud. And I think there's a lot of consternation among the right concerned if DeSantis has the same amount of chutzpah that what you know, Trump does and, and certainly did in 2016, and if he's got the balls to take it all the way. And I want to remind you that something happened last week that not many people noticed, but, but DeSantis had a press conference and he spoke about Twitter. And he said something out loud that a number of shareholders who didn't want to step in and didn't want to engage in what had become a political mud fight, he said something out loud that everyone else was saying privately. And it's what ultimately, I believe, led Twitter to fold like a cheap suit on this. Listen to DeSantis here. He's holding a press conference. Somebody asks him about the Twitter thing, and he explains his position as the you know, head of Florida and Florida as a shareholder, as an investor in Twitter. The state of Florida and our pension system, we have shares of Twitter. Uh, I didn't buy it. We have people that run the fund. But nevertheless, it hasn't exactly been great in returns on investment. It's been pretty stagnant for many, many years. Uh, so, but nevertheless, I mean, to me, I think that that's probably an injury to the fund. So we're going to be looking at ways that the state of Florida potentially can be holding these Twitter board of directors accountable for breaching their fiduciary duty. Well, it was red meat to the crowd, obviously. You hear the applause, but I can tell you legally what he's saying. He's saying there's an injury to the fund. The state fund, Florida's pension fund, and by the way, I would assume Nevada, that our funds that we have, our public funds, have some level of investment in Twitter as well, uh, and, 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 and so would other states, that they, got, they were injured. Why? Why are they injured? Well, they've got a non-performing stock. They're holding on to it. It's a blue chip stock, whatever the reason is. They've got it in the portfolio. It might be only going up slightly. And all of a sudden, along comes an offer that returns a 35% premium on their holding. Now, it, you know, look, uh, for most people in the stock market, if you, can, if you can in a single year take a 30 40% gain, you're going to take that and run. You don't have to be a brilliant investor to realize that that's a good deal and what he was saying and threatening twitter with was legal action on behalf of the state of florida which whenever you get sued by a state you know that is always a nasty thing because you've got basically unlimited pockets of of lawyers and and people that will come down on you like a ton of bricks and if depending on the fund there's potentially criminal charges that can be filed too so here 
this was a real threat. It was a broadside and God kind of swept over because everybody else is talking about Disney. It becomes relevant because the Twitter board absolutely must have realized and gotten what, what DeSantis said publicly, privately communicated to them by a number of significant players saying, look, we don't care about the politics. It's great that you guys, you know, want to continue banning people from your platform because they're dangerous. But we really don't give a crap because we need a return for our investors here. And our investors will sue you into dis- total. I mean, none of the, by the way, none of these Twitter board members had large portions of the company, it, you know, it, less than 1% each. I think collectively the whole board had less shares than, than Musk did when he took his uh, 9.5% stake. So this, you know, the the fact that they would be basically sued for damages that far and away exceed their net worth and ability to pay certainly focused them into doing the right thing for their shareholders. And so so Musk got together the financing needed to do this. He will be the sole owner of the company. As I understand it, there are no backseat drivers or partners in this, just financing. And I believe strongly this is an excellent financial move because I think he's, uh, well, by the way, shares of Twitter are up now on the news. They're, they're, they're going up. And they're going up because they understand that, that he's going to do a couple of very important things. He's promised uh, to eliminate bots, to eliminate all the non-humans and take steps to truly verify users. And Twitter never wanted to do this because they wanted to show a high number of users. And there was a, well, you know, a tacit acceptance of the fact that they had bots because it drove up their numbers and it drove up their stock price. As a private company, he doesn't give two rips about his stock price. It's a private company. He knows that what he needs to do is create a product that people want to use. And I can tell you as, as a very amateur, low-level user of Twitter, I'm not tremendously active on it, in part because why? Because I think it's a platform that it conspires against me because of my point of view. I can't write on it truly what I think. And that's not because I'm concerned about commercially for my business any kind of blowback. I'm concerned that Twitter bans me and then potentially bans my business and then I've got a problem because I can't reach people. Yes, what do I think about Trump getting reinstated? I think Trump's going to this great question. A lot of people wondering, is Trump going to get reinstated? I would be shocked if he isn't. Because based on the language that Musk is using and the kind of things he's saying is he wants a free speech platform. He's not going to give a, a, a rip about folks complaining that, you know, that, that, that Trump is dangerous. Or that he's wrong. Because that's not the measure of it. And the problem that we had, the slippery slope that we were getting into is we were saying, well, these are private companies. And we all of a sudden had a bunch of leftists that were very into private enterprise for once in their lives. These are private companies and they, you know, they have a, have a right to do whatever they want to do and ban people. And, you know, but we had these private companies being the de facto public square or the town square, as Musk describes it the digital town square. And the effect of this, my friends, I think on on social media more broadly is going to be profound because people will flock to Twitter and it's going to become far more popular. The people that are screaming right now that they're getting off of it and they're now going to go send each other kites 
through their through their toilets or whatever, however they're going to communicate. They're, those people are and they're not for real. They're still going to be on the platform, and there's going to be room for everybody. And you're going to see some truly terrible things on this platform. And guess what? You just have to, you know, put on your big boy pants and deal with it because we're all adults and Americans. Okay, when we come back, Pierce Morgan talking about the interview that airs tonight, the first part of it with Donald Trump, had some things to say. I'll take it apart for you, what you need to know. What's right with Sam and Ash, News Talk 840 KXNT. Comfortable and confident is how Salmon Ash Injury Law clients feel after the very first call. Comfortable knowing they have decades of personal injury experience. Confident there's reputation and trust to resolve cases and to do what's right. Salmon Ash Injury Law offers platinum legal service to anyone who contacts them. Quality matters. Integrity matters. Who you hire to protect and represent you matters. If you've been hurt in an accident, choose Salmon Ash Injury Law. 702-820-1234 or SalmonAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right right what's right with sam and ash here bottom of the hour news talk 840 kxnt if you miss any portion of the show please go on apple itunes excuse me apple Podcasts. i don't have ash here to yell at me and tell me what i'm doing wrong it apple Podcasts. there we go and spotify What's Right Show with Sam and Ash. That's where you go, and you can just subscribe. And then, again, if you miss a show, you've got it there waiting for you uh, in a few hours after we're done here. So, oh, Putin, a lot of talk yesterday. It was Orthodox Easter, which means in Russia they celebrated Easter uh, yesterday, Sunday. And uh, Putin looked a little bit unwell. They had him in the cathedral there in Moscow. He was pasty. He looked a bit bloated, seemed to be unsteady on his feet, was holding a candle. Then there was another meeting where he was with uh, his uh, secretary of defense. His name is Shogu, and he uh, – both of them actually don't look well. And I'll tell you why they don't look well. And, and I, I you know, does he have Parkinson's? Does he have cancer? Does he have some kind of illness? Did he, you know, did he, did he eat a bad mushroom? I don't know. I can't tell you any of that, and I'm not going to speculate. But I'm not surprised that the man looks unwell because he's had a really, really bad six weeks. His entire government organization and structure is coming undone. And it really has nothing to do, uh, well, let's back up here a little bit. It's come undone because Russia is a country of phenomenal I mean phenomenal corruption. I mean it is now uh, basically widely accepted that the army, where all these tanks and vehicles and machinery that is put into use in the Ukraine, that the army, instead of spending money to you know, replace parts on these vehicles, that that money was stolen by various generals and lieutenant generals, that in fact even low-level troops would – take parts off of these vehicles and remove components from the vehicles and sell them on the black market. <laughs> this, this happened. And so these, you know, they're driving out there with the tank and the whole bottom thing falls off of it because, you know, something's missing. Like 30 bolts. 
And and this this kind of, and, and I'm not even going to get into all the payments that they thought were going into the U, to Ukraine to, to the to the generals there and to high level people to win their favor and allegiance to Russia. It turns out that the spooks that were in charge of that program were taking all the money and buying yachts with it. <laughs> yeah, it's that's what happened. So Putin doesn't look well because he. He put everything on black, right? It's, all his bets went on that, that one number called invade Ukraine. And what does he have to show for it? Well, he has some wins, right? He has uh, this, this swath of land that he's developing that connects Mother Russia together with the Crimean Peninsula. It's an area of tremendous strategic importance. also cuts Ukraine off from the Black Sea. So this is nothing to scoff at, but he's got 25,000 dead, and by last count, 15 or 20, maybe 25 now, top-ranking generals, lieutenants, uh, captains, whatnot. Uh, it's just he has a lot of high-level casualties, uh, not to mention an enormous blow to infrastructure. And I would say the most important thing that no one is talking about in all of this is that Putin has showed China, for example, just how weak he is. And that is a devastating thing strategically for, for Russia because one thing that – you never know how good or bad someone's military is until you put it into action. It's very damaging to a country to have a, to have a spectacular military failure in such a public way, right? It's publicly humiliating, but it's strategically problematic because the Chinese, of course, are, I would say, more of a threat, an actual more of a threat to Russia than NATO is. NATO wants to preserve its territory and, and the independence of these, these countries that are along Russia's border. Now, the fact that Russia you know, thinks and views a huge broad swaths of Eastern Europe as belonging to it, that's Russia's problem. Those are independent countries. And you'll hear a lot of people, including some people I like that maybe have been on the show, that say it differently, but it is that, okay? So, you know, but there's no there's no intent by the Czech Republic or by Ukraine to take over portions of Russia. It's the other way around. China, on the other hand, shares a large border with Russia and has territorial ambitions and has influence ambitions, both of which damage Russia's dominance in the, you know, in, in the inter-European Asian region. And now they have literally shown the Chinese that their military could be swallowed by China in about four days. I'm confident of that. And Putin has to be, as they say rudely, crapping a brick. So the, the Putin you saw on television, he's, he's, a, a, he has to be absolutely beside himself. He, it, it is not the look of a man who is in a position of strength, who is winning, who is meeting objectives. And he, he certainly lacks a lot of swagger and, and confidence that he, that he had in, in appearances even just a year ago. Or certainly, you know, at the start of this conflict even, you know, call it eight weeks ago. So that, I think, is, is, is of great interest. And, and, and look, we'll see how this all shakes out. Trump, meanwhile, mentioned all of this apparently in the interview with, uh, with Pierce Morgan. And it's going to air tonight. And tomorrow night, as I understand it, two parts, 
Uh, I will watch this. I will be recording it so I can see it in its entirety. Uh, I'll give you my impressions of it tomorrow and the day after as, as, I, as I digest it. But we do have some clips that are coming out. And, and, and more importantly, we have, we have Pierce continuing to do the rounds and play victim in all of this, how mean Trump was to him and that he, in fact, did storm off, even though the audio clearly contradicts that. Uh, Pierce, by the way, and Trump, they, those two deserve each other. I said this last week. They are both showmen. They are both perfectly willing to tell you that the sun is up when, when you know, you can see that it's not. Uh, they're both very persuasive people. And, you know, but, but and they're also both, they'll also both complain about, you know, about, you know, personal grievances. And that, by the way, this is supposed to be from a guy who's criticizing Trump and who's supposedly the, the defender of the truth in this matter. Uh, he gets into it quite heavily. Here is Pierce talking about the pre-Trump interview moments. This is Trump has given a memorandum with all the mean things that Pierce says. And, and here's Pierce laughing and complaining about it. He's, he's complaining about it, though. Listen. He got really rattled because just before we sat down for the interview, Nigel Farage had sent him a three-page dossier of all the most critical things I'd said about Trump in the previous year. And it was pretty savage stuff. I'd really <laughs> gone after him about coronavirus, about uh, the refusal to accept the election, about the riots at the Capitol that followed. And I'd called him all sorts of things. So Trump called me up to his office before we started. And he's fuming and he's swearing and effing and blah. And he's looked at me and he goes, he starts reading out these lies one by one slowly, right? And then peering over the thing going, you called me a mob boss, a gangster, a narcissist, a monster. Trump should be removed from office immediately. He went, how could you do this to me? I was like, this is really not the best preparation for an interview. Uh, anyway. I actually just wonder which one it was he took umbrage to. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I, I eventually thought, how do I play this? So I, I, I can't grovel to him. It's just pointless. So I said, look, you did not make me your celebrity apprentice because I sat on the fence or was a shrinking violet, right? I, I supported you sometimes when nobody else did. And I've been hammered for it. And I've criticized you harshly when I've disagreed with you. You know what I think about this. My first visceral reaction when I'm hearing this interview, this was on Fox News Sunday Media Buzz with Howard Kurtz, the host. When I look at this, I think the media is so thin-skinned. I mean, they will go after Trump. They'll go after you or me. They'll go after private citizens. They'll, we saw this with the Washington Post reporter. They'll chase down an anonymous Twitter user because they're gaining traction and are, you know, damaging, transphobic, <laughs> whatever word they throw in there. They will ruin your life happily and gladly. But boy, if you push back, you hear that? You hear tr Pierce, oh, you just you came at me with all this stuff. <laughs> you know, he just says, oh, you said all these mean things. About he did. He called you to account. And you don't like it. Now, I still maintain these two know exactly what they're doing. They're ginning up excitement and interest and talk about this interview. Trump needs this to get out. It's very important to him to stay relevant and in the game. So I, you know, I think that's, that's a huge part of it. Uh, but it, it, nonetheless, it's, it, it shows just how thin-skinned uh, Pierce is in this. And the funny thing is he wrote... He wrote a piece in the New York Post about this right after it happened. 
and he had a completely different tone. And if, if I saw this piece when it came out, and I cited it here on the on the show, and he he talked about how floored he was and how he just really didn't expect this, and it was a curveball. And now he's let it sit for a few days, and you know how this goes. You know, you you, you know somebody comes at you with something, and you're like, oh, oh, feel bad, and then. You let it sit for a bit, and you you realize you you know you you start to feel um, you know uh, a little more emboldened. So I think that's what you have here. And I also think that the, the the importance is to get people to watch this thing. So it is interesting. Trump does uh, obviously get into the issues of the war uh, in the Ukraine. He uh, allegedly I haven't seen the interview yet, but he does call Putin a, a genocidal maniac. And he, he gets into, interestingly enough, this part I'm curious to see because a lot of my friends will ask me, Sam, do you think this war would have gone any different if Trump were still president? And my answer is always yes. And their response is, huh? How? Explain. And I always say, well, I my understanding, and I remember it occurring at the time and being reported on through anonymous sources who were leaking information at the White House, that Trump had some interesting conversations with Putin and that he would threaten Putin, that he'd bomb Moscow and things like that. And at the time, it was written in the press very disparagingly against Trump because what kind of a leader, what kind of a man who is charged with Leading the free world exercises this poor of judgment in speaking to another world, world leader, you know, even if it's Vladimir Putin. There's a lot of, oh, how is this? this is just awful. And I, my point on this is, is that that is the kind of language that Putin responds to. So, so Trump apparently gets into that and, and gives us a little peek behind the curtain in this interview. And according to sources, he says to Pierce Morgan that he told Putin that if he invaded, if Putin invaded the Ukraine, there would be consequences. And Putin press, uh, excuse me, Pierce Wilder's parent, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Pierce Morgan, thank you. <laughs> he apparently uh, pressed him on that if that meant nuclear, you know, if he was going to threaten a nuclear strike. And, and, and Trump just said, I'm not going to get into that. So whatever Trump threatened there now seems to be more or less confirmed was something that Putin didn't want to tangle with. Putin didn't want to test if Trump was just BSing him or if he was 100% certain. But what Putin was sure of is that Trump wasn't listening to the generals. He wasn't listening to the establishment, you know, conventional thinking people of Washington, you know, click. He wasn't listening to that bunch of fools. He was just going to do so. He just put his finger on the red button and blow Russia off the map. And by the way, the tables are turned now because we have a president who listens to the freaking Easter Bunny and we have a, a group of Washington insiders running our government. Putin knows what their game plan is. There's, they're 100% predictable, okay? And what is Putin doing? He's the one talking nuclear war and, and talking doing something unpredictable. And we're all over here going, oh, my God, oh, my God, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to nuke us. And you have even very reasonable people going, well, we, we can't tangle with nuclear war with, with Putin. They don't understand anything about game theory. They don't understand how this is all playing out. And these are the same people that told us that Trump was a lunatic. Fine. He was a lunatic. But guess what? He was our lunatic. 
And there are, and by the time this is said and done, there will be millions of people dead in the Ukraine because y'all voted for Biden. And that is a reality that I think the left needs to come to grips with. What's Right with Sam and Ash? We'll be back right after this. What's Right with Sam and Ash? News Talk 840 KXNT. Rounding out the hour here, we are on a roll. Uh, I think we're on a roll. Anyway, I just wanted to finish one thing about the uh, interview here that uh, Pierce Morgan did on Fox News Media Buzz yesterday, Sunday, with Howard Kurtz. Uh, he's getting into the election stuff, and you know, and he goes, "Look, this is uh, Trump really came unglued at me about this election thing," and I. <sighs> Something really bothers me about this, right? Whenever somebody says, well, we don't, we don't have any proof. We don't have any, it's, it is what it is until, until you prove that it is a certain way that we can't even have the discussion. By the way, this is how it was with COVID. You couldn't talk, you couldn't say to someone, you know, I think we should all be back at the office. I think it'd be okay. Oh my gosh, you just want to kill people. <laughs> you, just, you don't know, you don't, we don't know that. We don't know, we, this germ, spreads and does terrible things we you know in, in the end we found out that a lot of what we thought we knew we didn't and it took time to discover it and it took science doing its thing but the problem is that science in relation to covid was politicized the investigation into the 2016 election is politicized if you don't think that even as a as an opponent of the idea that the, the election was rigged even if you don't believe that, you have to understand that the investigation into it is very political. And there are pieces of evidence today coming out, for example, in Arizona, where Trump is actually right about some of the assertions he's making. So this dismissive, silly language that these guys do, well, there's no proof, and then surprise that Trump is erupting at them seems, well, a little silly. Here's what Pierce Morgan said about the whole thing. <laughs> so then he had to sit down again and talk about the whole month. So it's all very, uh, but he get, he, the, the stuff where he blows his top is really about, and it is at the core of the whole thing with Trump, he just cannot accept he lost the election. He believes it was stolen and rigged. I said to him to his face, by whom? Uh, he thinks it was voter fraud, that there was a fraudulent system. None of it's been proven. There is no hard evidence of any fraud. I told him that to his face, but he doesn't want to hear it. And he doesn't want to hear it from someone he considers to be a friend. And he said, then you're not real. Can you say you're not real? I was like, I am real. I'm sitting here and I'm doing the interview. And he, he wouldn't accept it. And he kept calling me a fool. And then eventually he just goes, turn the cameras off. He, the interview had finished by then. But he says, turn the cameras off. And as he goes off, you hear him so dishonest. And I'm like, Really? <laughs> Because I believe something not to be true, which is just not true. That makes me dishonest. So it was a, it was a crazy encounter. Ah, it's a crazy encounter because he, he didn't go along with what he... I, 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 I'm listening to this, and, I, and again, I, if you... Pierce believes that it's, you know, there's no proof at all of any fraudulent elections. Fine. But he's dismissing and laughing at Trump's belief... And, and by the way, Trump has, love him or hate him, he's got a long history of ultimately prevailing on things that he initially gets ridiculed for that end up coming eventually to pass as being true. And this is, uh, this is absolutely something that he, that he does. But what bothers me about this clip, by the way, fundamentally, is that 
It's so not how it happened. We've now heard the audio. We know uh, what actually occurred uh, in that end of the interview. In fact, I'll just I'll play it really quickly. Here is the is the audio. It's a little difficult to understand. Here's the audio, and just comport it to what Pierce just said and how it all went down. Oh, that is, did you do that? Probably happened. That <laughs> probably happened because I own the club. I'm sure it happened. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was a great This is a matter of, I got a record. We got an actual record, an audio clip of how it all went down. It ended nicely. And here's Pierce. I'm just going to play it again. I'm just telling you, I love that Trump, it's the Trump rule. If you ever do a media interview, have your own recording of it. That's what I, I called it last week, the Trump rule. Have a recording. Play the tape. Because you, you, you need to hold these people accountable. Ha, ha, ha. Well, he just stormed off. He says, you're fake. You're not a real person. Turn the cameras off. Send it with a handshake and a, and, a, and a nice interview. Great interview. So, yeah. We'll see how it all transpires. Tonight and tomorrow, we'll be following this uh, very closely. Also, I, you know, I keep meaning to get into the Johnny Depp fiasco. Uh, not because I give a rip about Johnny Depp. I, I'm I'm fascinated in this legal process, so I want to. I, I maybe we'll get to that tomorrow. I maybe we'll we'll get Ash back to to describe that and talk about that. Oh, and Trump went after Harry. God, that was funny. He said that Harry is whipped. <laughs> he sure is. What's right with Sam and Ash back tomorrow? See you then.